This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart. And I'm Trader Nick. Welcome back to the Market Insights, Market Pulse podcast. And today we're joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham in London. Hi there, Craig. Good afternoon. Plenty to talk about today. Let's start with the latest Chinese trade data. What's coming out of China at the moment? So China is effectively confirming what we've seen from trade data around the world for the last few months. The difference being that we haven't had it so much from China for the last few months because we've kind of seen this big reopening rebound um, from them dropping their zero COVID measures, the various lockdowns and restrictions that we saw towards the back end of last year, which means that there's been this backlog of effective catch up, I guess, which is means that the data has been somewhat distorted and not aligned particularly well with what we're seeing elsewhere. If you look at South Korea's trade data, for example, that's been going downhill, I think, since September. Um, we can see, obviously, with Germany and others as well, we're seeing similar trends. And now it seems that now that that backlog in China has been cleared or largely cleared, that we're seeing that take its toll on the trade figures that we are getting from China. In terms of the numbers themselves, I mean, the It's interesting, with these things, you can see a big surplus and think that must be good. But in reality, when you look at the underlying data, it tends to just highlight uh, relatively, at least today, highlights relatively worrying trends. So their imports uh, year on year were down by 4.5%. Um, that was slightly better than the minus 8% that was expected. Now, that's to do with the fact that we are still seeing a consumer recovery uh, in China, but it's being more services-led, more so than goods, uh, but we're still seeing a 4.5% contraction. So the fact that that's slightly better than expected creates that additional surplus, especially when compared with the exports number. So that was 8.5% last month. This month was expected at minus 0.4, and it was minus 7.5%, really exacerbating that trade surplus, but also painting a pretty nasty picture uh, that the this, this slowdown in global trade is continuing. China, obviously the world's largest uh, trading country, and um, and that's going to be a, a bit of a, another drag on the Chinese economy where there's already plenty of drags where the rebound since the turn of the year has been much stronger than people anticipated and now it seems to have stalled so now we're seeing a lot more calls for stimulus in china probably going to be more targeted in the kind of uh, in how they do so both on the fiscal and the monetary side um but now there obviously is concerns that this is really now taking hold everywhere in this slowdown which people are talking about towards the end of the year most notably, for example, for example, in the UK and in the US and now going into the euro area, it's um, it's seemingly caught China as well. So speaking on that area of the world, of course, we also have Australian numbers coming out recently. Uh, China, of course, a major contributor to the world economy, uh, as, as Craig mentioned, trade worldwide, uh, very dependent on what China's economy is looking like. The expansion, of course, it has a ripple effect similar to the U.S., uh, where other economies are, are majorly impacted. One uh, kind of close by neighbor that does a lot of trade with China is Australia, where we saw uh, GDP numbers came came out, uh, they were forecasted for 0.3%. We actually got 0.2%. This is following, of course, as well, a surprise interest rate hike from the RBA. The Australian dollar saw a, a 
jump on these numbers. A, a pretty big surprise there uh, as forecasts, again, like I said, were, uh, were not meant to, to see a rate hike. They were expected to stay at 3.85%. We got that jump, and with it, the price of the Australian dollar against most currencies appreciated uh, pretty strongly there. Now, since then, like I mentioned, GDP came out 0.2%. Uh, we saw that number not do too much immediately to the price of the Australian dollar. But today, uh, we saw more central bank stuff uh, with the, the Bank of Canada. Uh, and before I dive into the Bank of Canada, uh, I'd love to get Craig's thoughts on the Australian RBA and the theme that we're seeing going into the Bank of Canada today. Uh, is there a trend here with, with central banks uh, kind of showing signs of uh, more hawkishness than what was expected? What do you think, Craig, on, on the, uh, in reference to the China uh, numbers and the, uh, the data that you shared there with the Australian numbers that we saw, is there anything that could be telling uh, to, to traders and investors watching this stuff closely? It's a double whammy, isn't it? I mean, we're seeing slower growth and also we're seeing more hawkishness. And what that tells us and what it should tell everyone is that stubborn inflation is terrible for the economy and it can make things ultimately worse. And that is, I feel like, the trend. The trend that we've seen now for for a number of weeks in particular, people became very optimistic going into the summer that we could be seeing the end of these tightening cycles. And if you think of how much we've changed in the last few months, we've gone from the market's pricing in the US cutting interest rates after that final hike, maybe three going on four times by the end of the year to now pricing in maybe one, possibly two cuts before the end of the year. The Bank of England market's pricing in uh, one more rate hike and that became four more rate hikes. And now we're seeing uh, interest rate surprises from other central banks which had paused. We, we had had multiple meetings where they hadn't actually hiked rates and they've now caught us off guard and done so again and what that means is we start to see more rate hikes being priced in so we've gone from the rba effectively being at the end of its tightening cycle to markets now pricing in a 78.8 percent chance of another hike again in early uh, july so it suggests that central banks are concerned that inflation is far more stubborn and it's going to be harder to defeat and that means higher rates for a longer period of time and ultimately that isn't sustainable. It's not sustainable for inflation to stay high, interest rates to keep rising, to stay there for longer without causing more harm and damage to the economy. I feel, I feel like we're going into 2024 in six months' time. And you've, you've got to be concerned that we are going to see all of this action start to tip over into the economy. Not necessarily crash the economy, that sounds really uh, extreme, but the idea that we're going to see recessions around the world seems more and more likely at this point because ironically economies are so resilient that central banks have to push them that little bit further if they want to get inflation back to two percent it's really interesting just seeing the bank of canada coming out again uh it was almost a theme this this week with uh the rba following suit here this morning we saw 25 basis points come out of the bank of canada 4.5 percent a hold was expected we've seen it tick up by like i mentioned 25 basis points up to 4.75 percent uh, here this morning. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, all those points that you made, Craig, are very interesting because right now you're seeing uh, the Canadian dollar strengthen across the board, especially against the yen. I think it was up at one point, like 75 pips uh, in a single hourly candle. It was a really big jump for the CAD. And uh, just to show how kind of surprised the market is, usually when you get these moves that are ginormous like this, it is almost certainly because the market is very, very surprised by this. So we're seeing kind of uh, 
The markets repriced this here as we record the podcast, uh, as people are kind of uh, not only just on, on these uh, central banks impacting, but we see this having a, an impact globally. For example, the indices here this morning in the US, uh, 9.30 rolled around, markets got opened up, and uh, the S&P was yet again strong. But as soon as this Bank of Canada stuff came out, all of the indices gave back their gains on the day and are now trading down uh, as of the time of recording this. So it seems that we kind of had a bit of a shift, uh, a little risk off concern uh, about what you mentioned, per perhaps rates higher for longer and more concerns about recession kind of creeping back in as we see two major central banks uh, rate hiking this, this week. I also want to turn and talk just a little bit about uh, gold as well. Gold prior to this, probably one of the more interesting stories stories in regards to these central bank rate hikes as we saw gold trading up this morning before the Bank of Canada with a lot of confidence up on the day, almost tagging or just barely tapping into $1970 an ounce. And then as soon as that rate hike came out, giving back all of the gains and more now trading down on the day. So really interesting to watch the commodities market. Uh, Craig, do you have any uh, thoughts on, on gold or perhaps yields, anything in that area um, that would watch very closely uh, to this to these uh, now two surprise rate hikes from two uh, central banks? I think the thing that I'm finding most interesting right now is there's a time when the price of gold was far more responsive to what was happening in the US and US interest rates and bond yields uh, than it was anything else. Uh, and you could see inflation data, rate decisions from elsewhere, and it wouldn't necessarily have an impact on the price of gold, at least gold represented in uh, dollars. That's changed. I don't know if anyone else has noticed this over the past few weeks in particular, but now we're seeing gold respond to a bit of everything. And I'm talking about gold priced in dollars because it's almost as if gold traders now view central banks as this one uh, one, one entity uh, rather than a separate entity. So if you see one central bank make a move, then it means that the other central banks are more likely to make a move. We saw with the Eurozone inflation data, the HICP inflation data last week, HICP headline, was much lower than expected. HICP core was much lower than expected. Gold rallied. Almost disbelief that if we're seeing this trend in Europe, then we could see it in the US and we could see it elsewhere as well. This could be a positive thing for central banks globally. Then this week, RBA, Bank of Canada, gold responds. And it's almost because they're saying, well, actually, now inflation seems more stubborn within these central banks, which look like they were on pause. So maybe this is an issue everywhere. So maybe this is something that is influencing gold as well. So I do find it really interesting with gold at the minute that it's not just responding to US economic data, US Fed speak, Fed moves. It's actually broadly responding to what central banks are doing because it is treating them as almost one body as opposed to separate entities. And I think that's really interesting. Um, Throughout the rest of the commodity space, I think oil is still one that uh, I'm finding really interesting right now. Uh, obviously, with OPEC Plus at the weekend, uh, that's that that's continuing to have ripple effects throughout the uh, throughout the oil price. Uh, we've seen a lot of volatility, but I think the broad takeaway from this meeting has been that the market has shrugged off what Saudi Arabia did. There was. I think we talked about this on Monday. There was three components really to that uh, announcement. There was the Saudi million barrel cut. There was the technical tweaks, which was basically countries that were not fulfilling their expectations. They had their their, their targets uh, lowered. So the 
effect on actual output was minimal to zero, uh, but it was a technical tweak to their targets. And then there was the uh, the extension of those uh, previous cuts from the end of 23 to the end of 24 with a slight increase from the start of January. And I feel like the, the, the Saudi aspect was them saying, we need to cut and I want to cut and, uh, and this price is unacceptable and we need to fight the market on this without the group actually backing them. And then it was kind of this token gesture from the rest of the group saying, well, do you know what, in seven months' time, the economy's probably going to be weaker so we can commit to this now. And do you know what, if it doesn't materialise, we can withdraw it at a later date, but we're not ready to cut production now but this is kind of this nice gesture um and the markets have completely shrugged it off we're trading basically back where we were at levels last week so the markets have shrugged that that off i I, I think it's quite funny i mean i feel like saudi arabia has been front and center across the world this week particularly the sporting world they seem to have had a very good week for example in the golf uh, obviously with that tie up with the PGA they've had a very good week in football as well or, or soccer uh, as you call it tying down uh, some of the world's biggest football stars Karen Benzema uh, uh, being uh, of course one and Golokante another uh, it doesn't seem they've had that great week in oil uh, this is one area where they, they're probably coming this week saying do you know what we've had a good week elsewhere but as far as oil is concerned, uh, traders aren't listening and we're taking big efforts here. We're taking big moves and the oil markets are disregarding what we're saying. They're going to be happy in some aspects this week, but they're not going to be happy with this. Particularly bearing in mind that their break-even number is $80 a barrel and we're still somewhere away from that. Yeah, very much. Uh, we're Brent crude is now trading at 77 uh, WTI just shy of 73 so we're still a far cry from $80 a barrel that's not to say that it can't get there but I think what they're going to have to rely on now is is either the rest of the group joining them and adding to their, their output cuts at a future meeting or they're going to have to rely on the economy performing better because how many times can you cut a million barrels a day unilaterally they still rely on this revenue for their budget they've got 9 million barrels a day left that's lots they're still one of the world's largest oil producers but with every unilateral cut they do they 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 become less influential because there's surely less room for maneuver from their part they're playing their hand and the markets are disregarding it finally guys let's talk crypto before we uh, leave today how robust do you think the crypto market is at the moment has got plenty of bad publicity so how robust is it one thing i will say about watching bitcoin's price it's been a very interesting week you've had uh, a plummet in price as maybe myself and most people would expect under lawsuits coming out of the sec for coinbase and binance and, and all of the different figures coming into play here we're seeing a lot of negative news for the crypto space and then you had yesterday where bitcoin rallied five percent in the midst of this just to probably say you know screw you to half of all the people listening right or, or watching all of the news right you had this big jump in the bitcoin price despite a lot of these headlines I think for me, when it comes to uh, Bitcoin, it's been overall this year a really kind of disappointing chart to watch. It's gone a lot of sideways. It hasn't made a lot of serious move. And I think whether you're a bull or a bear, um, even seeing something so big as you know Coinbase, the the flagship, I guess, uh, uh, brokerage for for uh, U.S. traders and 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 people you know abroad who want to get involved with crypto, something big like this is still not even moving prices uh, to extremes for very long. 
It just shows, in my opinion, how, how kind of frustrating the, the crypto space in general has been. Um, this is definitely more Ed's space where he's got a lot more to say, but in terms of just the technicals and where we're at, uh, I would say that you know just the choppiness of this chart is something that's just keeping me away from being overly bullish or bearish. We've stayed back and forth. Um, and I think that this, if anything, calls into to question uh, similar to when we had the, the the regional banks kind of falling apart in the United States. It, it really did alert the markets and, and more stuff followed, uh, but the effects were not incredibly lasting until you get something very, very serious for crypto. Again, it's not breaking out of these ranges. For me, it doesn't have any uh, serious longer term implications one direction or the other. So uh, I don't know, Craig, you might have something a little bit more uh in detail than me but not necessarily i mean i think i think as you say the regional bank story is interesting because in the absence of the regional bank story then the last two months would have probably reflected the year as a whole right the the big volatility moves that we've seen has come on the back of the svb collapse and everything that followed um it has been surprising just how how much bitcoin and cryptos have disregarded these other stories i mean let's just Take this into consideration. We've had the collapse of FTX late last year, and now we've had the SEC following the CFTC in suing uh, Binance. They've now announced that they're suing uh, the they're suing um, uh, Coinbase. So we're now the two largest remaining exchanges. I think, that if I'm not mistaken, they're responsible for under half of all trades or something like that. I think I read today. I mean, that they, they t- that's that's a phenomenal number, and the market just brushes it off now there's a couple of explanations that you could maybe argue for this although i would just say this just shows the incredible resilience that sometimes that we see that in in the crypto market and to almost inexplicably as well because i think if you kind of looked anywhere else and those type of things will happen i just don't think you'd see the same type of resilience um but i think there's two things that really spring to mind one is this has been coming for a long time we know that there was going to be a crackdown. We know that there's been tension between the two. I think I remember seeing at times last year, uh, uh, a CZ saying effectively, we've been trying to communicate. And they actually said this in response to the lawsuit. We've been trying to communicate with the SEC. We've been trying to them to lay out the rules for us. We want to abide by these laws. We want to uh, play an active part in this. But you're not giving us anything. You're not giving us anything to live by, to work to, and therefore this type of this type of communication, this ultimate, this type of lawsuit was almost um, inevitable. Because if you're not working together, then you're working against each other, uh, and therefore it was always going to come to this at some stage. It was a case of when rather than if. And then there's the the other side of it as well, which you could argue maybe one of the reasons why the crypto industry is taking this in its stride, and that is the fact that. Uh, surely, surely this leads to regulation. And that's something that the space has lacked. We've been talking about crypto regulation for some time now, and it doesn't really seem to have got anywhere. Well, if we've seen the collapse of FTX, and now the SEC has brought action, and the CFTC has brought action against uh, Binance, and now Coinbase, then surely this is the first big step towards actual regulation in the space and these exchanges and exchanges similar to them being able to operate within a set of guidelines and maybe maybe that is one of the reasons why we are seeing uh we are seeing this kind of relative calm uh, in the uh, crypto space but the one quote which i will mention and uh, and that it's the one that really stands out because this was on the tweet that the sec put out when when, when doing this and it was a comment 
from the uh, from the Binance chief operating officer to another compliance officer that they highlighted and it says and i'll leave out one word because uh i'll keep this pg uh we are operating as a blank unlicensed securities exchange in the usa bro i mean that is not a comment that you really want the sec to be getting their hands on because that does suggest there is enormous tension and a willingness to be doing so. And that does not bode well for Binance. But like I say, you'd hope for the crypto industry as a whole that the two will find a way to work through this, uh, how it's going to happen and what it'll eventually lead to and what comes next, I think it's hard to say at this point. Very interesting, Craig. Thank you very much indeed for those uh, very illuminating uh, comments. Uh, We'll hear from you, no doubt, next week. Nick, We'll hear from you on Friday. Have a very good rest of the week. Thanks, Johnny. Cheers. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.